Father, we do thank you for allowing us to pour out our praise on you. God, how we so just need to be close to you, and especially during the middle of the week, sometimes we get bogged down with so many things in life, and Lord, we feel so distant from you, and it seems like Sunday was six weeks ago. And God, I just praise your name for Wednesday night services, and we get to draw close to you and listen to you and be able to sing your praises. God, it is truly your breath that is in our lungs, and we cannot take a breath apart from you. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for right now, for this time, for us to be able to sing your praises, for us to be able to hear from your word. God, may we never take this time for granted to be able to hear from you. God, it is such a powerful thing to be able to, to hear from the, the breath of God, this, this God-breathed word, to be able to have that poured into us. God, sometimes we just take that for granted. And, Lord, I, I repent and I ask you to forgive me of that. But, Lord, this is a precious thing. And as Connie stated just a minute ago, Lord... How many times, how many times do we ignore this precious word? God, so many of us have, uh, have your word all around our house, but we never pick it up and we never read it. And Lord, I just, I pray right now that we would, we would be people that listen to you closely. God, that we would seek your face through your word. And God, we'd forever be changed by the power of your word and through your Holy Spirit. So be glorified now as we listen to you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Starting a new series this week, Keith decided we were starting a new series, and I thought it was a good series, so we're going we're gonna to do this. You know, you know I'm afraid of something. Do you know that I'm, I'm afraid of something? Uh, well, you're probably like, well, he's afraid of heights. He's, <laughs> if he's not afraid of heights, he's afraid of falling. If he's not afraid of falling, he's afraid of hitting once he falls, right? Uh, not really afraid of heights so much, although I do do some repairs on, on my roof, and I do like to have a harness on and a... Uh, a rope because I don't like the idea of falling off my roof uh, because I, I'm afraid, you know, it's really going to impair my ability to preach on Sundays if I'm up here in a wheelchair and I like to be able to move around and move my hands. So I want to be able to, to convey the word of God to you the way I normally do. So I, I don't want to fall off my roof, but I am afraid of something, believe it or not. And that is, I am terrified, absolutely scared to death of being a coward. I don't ever want to be a coward, and it terrifies me to think that I would be in the face of some situation where I would back down in cowardice and, and just be afraid or some situation like that. So much so, you all know that, that in Fort Lauderdale, there, were, there was this gunman in the, uh, the airport terminal. It's actually the Delta Terminal. I spoke to a guy the other day. He said, I was in that terminal last week. I know exactly where the gunman was. I know how he went about what he did. And by the way, just a commentary on you know, modern times and events, by the way, is that people make a big deal out of it, out of being in the airport, and we should have different airport security and blah, blah, blah. He could have done that in a McDonald's. He could have done that in a high school basketball gym. He could have went into the bathroom of a high school basketball gym, loaded a weapon, or had a loaded weapon already in there, and come out and started shooting people. So the fact that it was in an airport doesn't mean that we should have different airport security. The reason they do it in airports a lot of times, specifically the reason terrorists do it in airports, is because they want to raise the terror level and make it inconvenient for the rest of us to be able to fly. Now we've got to go through extra airport security. We've got to have different bag checks. And we've got news reports on whether guns should be allowed on, on air, airlines at all. And, and we've got all this kind of stuff. That's the reason they do it in airports, by the way, in case you're wondering why that happens. Because terrorists like to cause terror. That's what they do. In case you were wondering what a terrorist is supposed to do, they're supposed to cause terror and invoke fear. And let me tell you something. I, I, 
I hope that I am never presented with a situation where I am seen, where I see somebody hurting somebody else in a situation like that because my family knows, and I have told them straight up, if there is a situation like that and I see somebody being hurt that way, I'm going to be careful and I'm going to be diligent and I'm going to be smart about it, but I'm not going to sit there and do nothing. If I'm armed or I'm not, I don't care. I'm not going to sit there and let them kill other people while I sit idly by because I'm terrified to death of trying to sleep at night for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years thinking I could have done something. I can't live that way. I'd much rather be dead than have to try to sleep at night knowing I could have done something, but I didn't. That's the way I'm wired. I can't help that I'm wired that way. My family knows that I'm wired that way, and I promise you, um, if somebody comes in here and they try to, try to shoot me up or whatever, um, I, I'm going to be more worried about you than I am about me. Now, the good news for us in here is that they're probably going to go down before they even get it completely drawn, okay? Because there's a lot of you in here <laughs> that, that, that are on security. Let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> officially or unofficially, you're on security. Uh, so I am thankful for you guys. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, there was uh, this guy that was like coming to attack a preacher one time, and he said, the preacher said, stop in the name of the Holy Spirit, and the guy just like collapsed right there. Did y'all hear that story? Nobody heard that story? Anyway, go look it up on Google, but anyway, the dude just like collapsed right there. And so it's been said in here, uh, my good buddy Jay Borchard, uh, who is always on security here at Simple Church, um, he said, all you got to say is stop in the name of the Holy Spirit, and you just shout that real loud because they won't be able to hear the gunshots behind you screaming that. And then and they're, they're going to fall. I promise you they're going to fall. But that's your cue. If you say stop in the name of the Holy Spirit, they're going down. And everybody's going to be like, wow, look at that. So anyway, but it, I am terrified of, of being a coward. I don't want to be. I think, unfortunately, uh, in, in, look, I don't want I don't hate to say it, in today's society, in American culture, whatever. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, like it wasn't this way when I was a kid, but now it's this way. It's been this way for a long time, but we have a tendency to want to protect our children so much that we don't want them to do anything, right? I mean, we have a tendency, like, this is a perfect example. Your child, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, wants to order at a restaurant, and what do they do? They tell mom, they tell dad, this is what I want to eat, and what, is, what happens? The parents say, okay, this is what my child wants to eat. Well, how does he want his steak? Medium, well, okay, and then they have to go through this whole process. With Cassidy, <laughs> bless her heart, uh, we, we, when she was at an early age, she knows. Waiter or waitress comes up to our table, what is she going to eat? And I'm like, she's going to tell you. She starts telling me what she wants to eat. I say, I don't take your order. They do, okay? You're going to have to place your order. If you can speak and you know what you want to eat, you can tell them. You don't have to tell me. But how many, and now look, I know some of y'all do this, so I may be picking on somebody in here, but I'm telling you, how many kids are raised this way where you tell mom and dad, and mom and dad's going to take care of it for you? And look, we, we got to kick them out of the nest a little bit, y'all. I mean, I'm, I'm for real, because we're, we're raising a generation of people that they're just terrified of everything. They, I mean, and, and the, the terrorist threat and all that is not helping the situation any, but parents are being very protective of their kids. They're not pushing them to do hard stuff, bold stuff, difficult stuff, because they don't want it. We, we go under this, guys. We, we say, I, I want it to be easier for my kids than what it was for me. That's, that's, that's what parents say, right? 
The only way you're going to do that is by letting them learn some stuff in life and learn how to be bold in life and not be a coward. That's the only way it's going to happen, okay? Because let me tell you something. If you lock your kids in the basement and you take their order to the, to the restaurant and bring them food in their basement, they're still going to face hard times, okay? They're still going to be enduring hard times. Sickness, illness, the death of a loved one is still going to come to the basement, okay? You can't protect them from everything. So why don't you teach them to be bold? Why don't you teach them to have courage? And then when they go out into the world and they have, they're forced to be bold and they're forced to, to deal with a situation that their boss is not treating them right, they know how to deal with that then. They're not just sitting there waiting on what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. Mom and dad ain't here anymore. I, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that, that we are raising a generation of less than bold people. And it, it, it's pervasive. It's not just unchristians. It's Christians too. And if there's one thing that we're supposed to be as Christians... If there's a single thing that we're supposed to be, it's to be bold. It's to be bold. So shouldn't the Christians be the most bold people out there? Is that what you see in society, though? Is that what you see in your high school? Is that what you see at your dinner table? Is that what you see at your dinner table when it's, when it's time to pray? Oh, let, let me, I'm going to get on you guys a little bit, okay? When you're at your dinner table, you're at Lost Mex, okay? Several of you have gone to Lost Mex together. You hang out together, what have you. And it comes time to pray for the meal. What happens? Everybody does this, right? How many of you are saying, let me pray? Y'all don't want to pray, I don't care, let me pray. That's what a Christian looks like. That's what a bold Christ follower looks like. Same thing goes at your dinner table at your house. By the way, the man's supposed to pray. And the man's supposed to teach his kids to pray. And sometimes it's perfectly acceptable for the woman to pray, but the man's supposed to pray at the dinner table. He's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the household, and he's supposed to be the one that teaches the kids how to pray. Some of you may not have a man in the household. If you don't have a man in the household, then it's your responsibility. As the leader in the household, because the man's not there as the adult, you're supposed to be the spiritual leader of the family. Are we doing that? How in the world, how in the world are we supposed to face this entire world as a Christ follower, and be bold for the gospel of Christ if we can't even pray at our own dinner table? How in the world? It's, it's too easy here. It's too easy here. Let me tell you about... Connie gave me this story. All creds go to Connie. It's about a man, man named Azam. Azam, a former pirate somewhere in Somalia today who rides in coffins under corpses because he knows Somali Muslims will not open a casket or touch a dead body, much less look under it. 
So Azam safely rides in caskets underneath corpses traveling outside of Somalia where he then is given a load of Bibles in Kenya. He travels back to Somalia in a coffin under a corpse with a precious cargo of God's word that many people in his area are desperate to read. How could he ever come to the decision to engage such a mission? Azam had been born and raised a Muslim. But he had been having dreams of Jesus. He sought out his imam for answers, but the man had violently berated and beaten him. When his mother discovered he was having Jesus' dreams, she commanded him to leave the home for his own protection and never come back. He did. He walked miles and miles, quite sure his father would be unable to find him. But he was wrong. His father was a powerful warlord who located him quickly and sent Assam a package. When Assam opened it, he was shocked and sickened to find his mother cut up into small pieces. A photograph had been included inside the plastic bag. It was a picture of his mother kneeling in front of two men who had their knives raised over her. The day Assam opened the package is the day he embraced the ultimate answer as he committed his life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is where the story gets more incredible. Because Assam sought out the two men who had butchered his mother. He told them that he had, for, he had forgiven them. He told them that Jesus loved them and that he could forgive murderers. The two men, Madi and Yesim, embraced the ultimate answer and claimed Jesus as their Savior. Then they confided to Assam, As we killed your mother, her last words were, Jesus, Jesus, I love you. And we struggle to pray at the dinner table. John chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1 says this, as Jesus walked along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world... I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the man's, blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me to go and wash in the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was a Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Pharisees asked the man all about it. 
So he told them. He put the mud over my eyes. When I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. When the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still, confu- still refused to believe the man had been blind and now could see. So they called in his parents and they asked him, is, your, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. but We don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who would announce that anyone saying Jesus was a Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get, get glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner. The man replied, but I know this, I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. You didn't listen. Why do you, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple." But we are disciples of Moses, for we know God spoke to Moses. But we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners because he is ready to hear those who worship him and will do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they replied. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. It's common in Jesus' day for people to assume that because somebody had blindness or some sort of severe illness from birth that that it was because of their sin. That something they had done in their life had caused God to punish them through blindness or leprosy or any number of them or being lame. Or if it wasn't because of their sin, it was because of their parents' sin. And especially if they were born that way, it must have been something their parents did to cause this. Because God was punishing them for whatever sin they had committed. And that was the way they thought. They had a messed up way, a messed up perspective on God. And they thought this way. Now, now let me tell you this. I want to say that with a caveat. There are some times when God will bring things into your life that are devastating, not in order to punish you, but to draw you to Him. That's reality, okay? That's the truth. But God doesn't work this way, and I'm going to give you some illness, I'm going to give you blindness because of, of your sin or the sin of your parents. It doesn't work that way. 
But God will give trials in your life and difficulties in your life because nothing happens out of the sovereign hand of God. Nothing happens apart from the sovereign hand of God. He will allow trials and difficulties to come into your life so that you will be drawn closer to Him. You'll have a greater reliance and dependence on Him. But these guys had a messed up way of looking at things. And they thought he was blind because of his sin or his parents' sin. So this man has an encounter with Jesus. He's a beggar. And and Jesus, being Jesus, has compassion on him. You see, a lot of these people, because they they were uh, blind or had leprosy or were lame, they had to be beggars. They couldn't get real jobs because people assumed that, that they didn't have the favor of God because they were a sinner. And because of that, they couldn't really get a job or make money for themselves Even as a blind person, you think, well, maybe he could learn a trade or something. But that really wasn't the problem. The problem was how people viewed him, how they saw who he was. And they saw him as a sinner, and that's all they could see. They saw him as a sinner. And here Jesus walks up on him one day, and he doesn't just give the man sight. See, that's what I think a lot of people miss about these stories, when Jesus heals somebody especially somebody that has leprosy or somebody's lame or is blind, when he, when he comes in and when he rescues them, I want you to understand he's giving them their life back. This man can now go on and earn a living. He can get a job because he's not blind anymore. Not because he's better at learning a trade, but because people don't see him the same way anymore. Somebody that had leprosy had to live outside the city walls in camps of their own, apart from everybody, and all they could do was beg for food, and whenever they came around somebody, they'd just have to scream, unclean, unclean. So people would run away from them. And they would be devoid of human touch. And people they loved and people they cared about couldn't hug them or touch them or be around them anymore. So when Jesus comes in and heals somebody, he's given this guy his life back. So, people start to talk. Well, how is this guy healed? He was blind, right? Is you sure this is a guy? Yeah, I think that's a guy. Are you sure that was him? Because he kind of looks like that guy, but he's different. You know, he can see now. So, I'm, are you sure that's the right guy? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, let's take him. We'll take him to the, to the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. Let's, let's... Now, I want you to understand something. Somebody that was blind would have been looked down upon by the Pharisees and Jewish leaders because they would have seen us as being a sinner, like I just said. A dreadful sinner, and and God must not have favor on this person because they've done something, and that's the reason they're condemned with this illness or blindness or sickness or whatever. And now he's being drugged in front of these people that constantly would look down on him previously. Can you imagine how intimidating the situation would be? To be brought in front of somebody who you consider to be holy, 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 and now you're called to give an account for who you are? How intimidating would that be? You had been thought of yourself that your whole life is just a dreadful sinner because you've had this condition your whole life, and now you're being brought in front of these people who are considered to be nothing but perfectly holy. But I believe this man exemplifies the kind of boldness that we're supposed to have. And you know what he does? This, this is crazy. This is crazy. You know what this man does? He just tells the truth. He just tells the truth. He doesn't deny who he used to be. 
Now, I want you to understand that that would have been easier for him. That would have been much, much easier for him if he had just said, no, that wasn't me, man. You got the wrong dude up in here. That dude was blind. I don't know where he's at. He's from somewhere else, but I'm another guy. See, I'm not blind. That guy was blind. Do you know how quick the Pharisees would have been to say, yes, that sounds like a good explanation. It's the wrong guy. We got the wrong guy. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you got the wrong guy. I'm, I'm somebody else. He didn't do that. He says, no, let me tell you what happened. I was blind, but now I can see. I, I used to not be able to see, but now I can. It's just that simple. And they start, I mean, they start debating. Well, who has the power to do that? Who has the power to make the blind people able to see that? I mean, the Pharisees know, like, this doesn't just happen every day. This is not recorded in Jewish history where somebody was blind and now they can see. I mean, like, this is a big deal. Where's this power coming from? And a lot of them start to have arguments back and forth about where's it coming from? Who is this guy? What is he doing? But it also says, what did it also say? It says they were instructed to kick anybody that, that, uh, that proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. They were instructed to kick them out of the synagogue. What does that mean? Well, the synagogue is where they used to go and open up the scrolls and, and, and read the, the words of the prophets. And they would, they would go and they, they would, it was a place where they kind of worshipped. It was kind of like a church for them. It's where they went on a weekly basis to kind of go and to worship. That's what they did, okay? So if you were kicked out of there... That's like kicking you out of the church a little bit. Like kicking you out of the religion. Like saying you're not worthy to come in here and worship God. You're just not. Do you see how bold this man must have been to stand up there and talk about what had happened to him as a result of this guy, Jesus? I mean, this was a big deal. So much so that, that when his parents were brought in, his parents were afraid, right? They were. You, you, you heard me read it. They, his parents were afraid. They were like, why are you asking us? He's old enough. You need to ask him. That's definitely my son. He definitely can see. He definitely used to not be able to see. Talk to him. I mean, they're doing this whole backup thing, you know. Thanks, Mom, Dad. Appreciate you, you know. You backed up my story, but you're like, you don't want to be any part of this whole healing thing that happened. You know it happened, but they're still... How do they do the hands-off thing? How they're like, I don't know, you know, just talk to him. Yeah, he used to be able to see, uh, not be able to see, now he can see, and it's definitely him, you know, and they're trying to play this whole wave-off game. Look over here, look over here, you know. They're, they're not trying to stand up for their son because, you know why? Because they're afraid of the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. They're afraid of what's going to happen to them. They're afraid of getting kicked out of the church if they've claimed that this guy must be from God. So here, they ask him, what, what do you think, man? So he comes back in, second time. They bring him back in second time. And what does he say? You didn't listen to me the first time. Hey, wake up, guys. I'm telling you, you didn't listen to me the first time. I told you once, and I'm telling you again, you're not going to listen to me. I, they said, well, who do you think he is? Well, he, he's, he's, he's got to be a prophet or something. It's got to be from God. Because they go and they say, they're like, we don't understand exactly what's going on here. And he says, we, we, how can he be a sinner? You're saying that Jesus, this guy that healed me, has to be a sinner? 
He even goes on in verse 30, he says, Why, that's very strange. Can you sense the sarcasm dripping from his, from his lips as he's saying this? Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes. Yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one is able to open eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. What is he saying right there? Kick me out of the church if you have to. This guy is the Messiah. Do whatever you have to. Condemn me in whatever way you want to. It's still not going to change the truth. How does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? Students, adults alike. This is this man's testimony, right? When you're brought into court, they ask you for your testimony, right? They say, what is, what is your testimony? What is your account of what happened? And you're called to say, well, this is exactly how I remember it, and this is exactly what happened. I was called to testify one time in a court case um, because I had witnessed an accident. And uh, the, the lawyer actually... I was called to give a deposition first, and the lawyer was a smart aleck, and I didn't really like him very much, but I'm not saying that about all lawyers. I have some lawyers that are, or some friends that are lawyers, so uh, it doesn't go out for all of them. But uh, the smart aleck lawyer in my deposition, he said, you keep referring to a line of cars. What do you mean by that? So... <laughs> Does anybody in here know that I'm a smart aleck too? <laughs> okay, you weren't supposed to raise your hand, by the way. Uh, there were a few hands that went, oh, oh, he wasn't asking. So I said, a line of cars. Let me think. I said, cars that are in a line. <laughs> he was, he was the, the bad lawyer. I didn't like him too much. He was the one trying to... Trying to shaft some people. I didn't like him very much. So anyway, he didn't like me very much. We didn't have to get along. Uh, I love him because of Jesus, but we didn't have to get along. So, But I was called up later on after giving my deposition. I was called to testify in court. And all I could do is, is say what I had seen, you know. And they separated us all so, you know, all the witnesses just couldn't interact and talk about it and, and change our, our minds about what we had seen and all that kind of stuff. But I was called to give my testimony in front of court and say, what did you see? And the lawyers, I had like six or eight lawyers come up to me during this time and like asked me what I had seen. And I just gave my testimony about the truth, right? I couldn't put any spin on it. I couldn't, I could I just tell them, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced when I was there. You know what is so bad about Christians these days? Is it not? I, I mean, even when it comes, I, I'm not talking about standing up on top of your lunchroom table or your table at work and, and spouting off the gospel and reciting Romans chapter 8. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about people looking at your life and knowing you're a Christian. I, I'm just talking about people looking at your life so much so that when they, when they see you, they don't really want to cuss around you. They know you're a Christian, so they don't really want to say stuff around you that, that really they know it breaks the heart of God. And when they look at you, they say, that, that's the way it looks. It, it, it makes me hurt to say that in front of you, so I don't really say it in front of you. You know what I'm talking about? 
You know exactly what I'm saying. The people, your testimony speaks so loudly in your life that people don't want to say junk like that around you. I was sitting in a meeting one time, and our, our director, who is like two levels above me or whatever, and he, he's in a completely different department. Whatever, he, like, he cussed, and he looked dead at me in the eyes and said, I'm sorry. I was like, appreciate it, but you really need to be looking up and not at me. Now, I'm not saying my testimony is great or anything like that, but people at my work, they know I'm a Christian. They know I'm a Christ follower. And I, I, don't, I don't tout the fact that I'm a pastor. I don't really care. I, I just, they, know, they know my testimony. They know I'm, I'm a Christian. It's not a big deal for them to know I'm a pastor. I don't care if they know I'm a pastor or not. I have people come up to me all the time and say, you're a pastor? I say, yeah, about two years now. But I knew you were a Christian. I didn't know you were a pastor. It's okay either way, right? It should be the same either way. Whether I'm a pastor or a Christian, it should be the same. It's so funny. I was actually, they were, they were talking about this other guy. They knew he was a Christian. They said, did you know that guy, he was a pastor? And they weren't talking about me. They were talking about somebody else. And I was like, they said, he sure doesn't talk like it. And I was like, Shouldn't they say that about the other Christian that's over here that talks the exact same way? That says crude stuff and just acts crude and all this kind of stuff. Shouldn't they, shouldn't they look at that person the same way? But no, they, they look at this guy and go, well, he's a pastor. He sure shouldn't do it. It's okay for the Christian to do it, but the pastor really shouldn't. That's what they call putting you up on a pedestal. That's exactly what that's called. Do you realize... That as a Christian, listen to me, as a Christian, you should look exactly the same way at work as I look at work. That there should be no difference in your testimony and the way you act and the things you do than the way I act and the things I do at work. People should look at you and go, there's no difference. That guy could be a pastor. That lady could be some sort of leader in the church. She could be a teacher. That could be Beth Moore sitting over there. That your testimony should be no different. That your testimony should speak so loudly about who you are that people believe that about you. That there should be no difference whatsoever. Are you telling me for one second you don't look at me and go, that guy should behave differently than me. He, he's up here and I'm down here. Well, that's garbage. That's garbage. You know why? Because we're both Christians. And we're both held to the same standard. And we both serve the same truth. And we both should stand firmly for the truth. Should be no different whether I'm standing up here or sitting in that chair. There should be no difference. We should all be bold. And when it comes time to pray at the dinner table, you shouldn't all do this and look down at the pastor for him to pray. There should be no difference should be no difference this man was willing to get kicked out of the church taken away from the synagogue for one reason and that was the truth there's only one thing I'm scared of in my life and that's, that's being a coward in the face of somebody challenging me on the truth I want to stand boldly for the truth and if it means my life, if it means somebody's going to take my life from me, so be it. I'm not going to sit idly by 
and not let the truth stand and, and be reflected in my life. Do you stand for truth? Is the reflection of your life do you live the truth? Is a reflection of your life one where people know the truth about you? Does your testimony speak loudly like this man's testimony spoke loudly? He didn't care what anybody else thought. Is that the picture of your life? And if it's not, why not? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from doing that? Are you afraid of being looked down upon? Being looked at as a weirdo? Why do they not drink? Everybody else is drinking. Why do they not do this? Why do they not do that? What's the testimony of your life? Does it speak loudly? Or do you look like everybody else? Do you stand boldly for truth? Or do you cower down because you're afraid of looking like a weirdo? Parents, are you raising your kids to be bold? Are you pushing them out there a little bit, challenging them to do the hard things? Because you know one day in life they're going to have to face the hard things. They look at you and say, that's my mom, that's my dad. Look at their testimony. Look at how they live their life. Look at how boldly they stand for truth. I want to be like them one day. What's the answer? Let me pray. Father, you've called us to be bold. Lord, I know that this has been challenging to read your word and hear what you have to say to us. God, we live lives of such complacency and so many times in our life it looks like we care nothing about you. Lord Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't be like that any longer, that we would stand boldly for you and for the truth. God, that we would not cower down in the face of the enemy, that we would constantly, constantly reflect your glory in our lives so that people look at us and they say, that must be a Christian. They could even be a pastor with the way that they live. But we spend too much time comparing ourselves to everybody else and say, well, at least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like them. I pray that we wouldn't be like that. God, you didn't call us to be that way. God, we're supposed to reflect your glory. God, as you stood for truth, as you stood for all of us, as you died for all of us, as you sacrificed your son for all of us to rescue us, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would show that kind of boldness and that kind of courage in our lives. Nothing else matters but glorifying your name. God, help us to stand boldly for you and for your kingdom. Help us to not cower down to the enemy. Help us to always stand for truth. And if we haven't, Lord, if, if you have spoken to us, I pray that we would come and we would repent. We'd turn towards you. God, we'd ask you for the strength that we don't have in our own. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for your precious word. Be glorified now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.